right now I was thinking about it. I haven't owned a car since 1968. Well, yeah, you'll be I, like you're like the Ruth Bader Ginsburg of the bike I am. We're being suppressed by COVID and the pollution, but there are some of us that will still go without a car. We're still riding without a car. So. We love you oh. vicariously. Oh. We live through you. <laughs> Pour one out for the homie, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Oh, man. No. She didn't get, she didn't get a retirement. She didn't get like a proper rest she stuck it out she's an american hero they gotta put her like she's $2 or something yeah big coin or something yeah they should so that happens what else can happen what else is gonna happen with this crazy year we we found out that uh <clears throat> that paul Caretz yeah skipped out on 20 there are fifty million dollars worth of jobs just because he doesn't like, you know, pedestrian plazas in his oh, district. Oh, Melrose, you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Are we gonna talk with Michael? We're we gonna have an update on that, Nick. Uh, yeah, we have an interview with him. Michael, good. I'll why be quiet. Go I'm just, I'm just here now. Yeah. Happy to see you guys. You know. Nick, why don't you queue up that interview and let's play it? All right. You wanna introduce it? Yeah, so basically, we're going to talk with Michael Schneider of Streets for All, the organization, the powerhouse organization. They're, they're the ones making moves right now. They've been uh, very active, getting a lot of things done, the Slow Streets program. And now they uh, had a hand in, I guess, in applying for this grant or pushing the city to apply for this grant for $50 million for to uh, remake Melrose, which is a huge pedestrian business corridor in the middle of the city it's right near the grove people it's a very dense area of los angeles there's tons and tons of foot traffic and it's a four lane kind of madhouse type of street through there and they uh they managed to get the city to consider applying for this is the way i understand it 50 million dollars in a grant from i guess the federal government or maybe the state government but it was $50 million. It didn't come from the city of Los Angeles. So we weren't going to pay for this, but we were going to get the benefits of having a Melrose with bike lanes, with walkable sidewalks, wider sidewalks, crosswalks everywhere. And one lane of car traffic in each direction. And it's like, everybody loses their fucking mind when you talk about losing a lane of traffic in Los Angeles. And Paul Kretz is one of those people that talks out the side of his neck. Like he's, really on our side, but it's fun, a bunch of BS. And, uh, you know, when, when push comes to shove, that guy often sides with NIMBY, uh, what do you call it, homeowner groups? Like, what homeowner wouldn't want to have a more walkable Well, uh, I, I thought it Melrose. was the fire department and the, and the PD that had a lot of objection to it. Yeah, that's, that's called, like, cover your ass type shit. Because over on Rowena, the fire department came and talked about the road diet there. And they were like, it's actually better for us because there's only one lane of traffic. When we want to get through, we've got a center turn lane that we can get into and the cars can move over into the bike lanes and it's all good. So the fire department, it was a BS. Whoa. You know, you, you could have the cops say one thing or another. Like Gil Cedillo had the cops come out 
and say the same thing. Oh, we can't get our trucks through. It's like BS. You know, well, it's different. It's different. Uh, police and fire department. Right? It's not just. It's a different. Here. Well, you you could go to anybody in the police department. You could say like, "Hey, Sergeant Sergeant Milktoast, do you like bike lanes? No, I hate bike lanes. Okay, cool. Can you come speak on this thing and tell us how dangerous it is to have bike lanes? And then you go like, "Hey, Sergeant, you know Gordon Helper, who's actually a pro bike guy. You'd be like, "Yeah, it's great. You know, uh, get him Sorry. to speak. <laughs> gives you cover. You know, gives you official cover. So it's a bunch of BS. So Paul Coretz, screw that guy. That's the uh, the takeaway, right? There's a yeah. recall. There's a recall Coretz website. Is there? Oh well, you know that's probably not going to succeed. What? It's almost impossible to get a sitting. He's going to be out soon anyway. So recall Coretz. Yeah, I wouldn't even waste time on that, but whatever, maybe. Um, so we're going to have uh, this interview with Michael Schneider that you did, and we're gonna, yeah. he's going to talk some more about it. Maybe I'm just talking on my ass in different situations I've been on. Ready? No, he's not going to talk more about it. He's just giving a general update on Streets for All. Okay. 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 okay, great. Here we go. So Streets for All is LA's first transportation-focused pack. And what that means is we are not a 501c3, like many other advocacy organizations are. And this gives us the ability to endorse candidates running for city hall and raise and spend money trying to get them elected. So um, one of the reasons why I started the organization that way is I think there's a lot of organizations doing fantastic work around town, but I feel like it doesn't really matter very much if you can't get the support of council. And as you know, LA has 15 fiefdoms and each council member decides what does happen or not happen in their district, which is why, for example, it's very difficult to create a network of bike lanes all over town. Because if one council member opts out, you don't have a connection. So I felt it was critical, not just to advocate for equity and transportation, mobility justice, um, to advocate for a bike lane, but to actually change the system um, and get people on city council that will be supportive of the cause. So that is um, one of the primary things we do. Um, in this election cycle, we have endorsed Nithya Raman, who's running a very good campaign against the incumbent David Rue. David Rue, in his time in office, has done everything he can to either reverse or try to reverse road safety improvements such as Rowena, until a group of uh, residents fought back and won, or veto them altogether like he did on 6th Street near LACMA um, a few years ago, despite community support. So he has been an enemy of progress in the mobility world, and Nithya Raman would be a breath of fresh air. Uh, just two days ago, she started tweeting about how, if we're gonna meet our climate goals, we need a network of bus and bike lanes all over town. That's very obvious to people like you and me, but it's not obvious to the general population. And it's very refreshing to have a city council candidate that thinks that way. Um, we will also be endorsing uh, more candidates very soon. It should go online next week um, from neighboring cities. So we'll be making endorsements in Santa Monica, in Culver City, in West Hollywood, um, possibly Burbank and in Downey. Um, we think it's important to pay attention to the the region and not just the city of Los Angeles. So that's, that's one of the main things we do. We do election work. 
Um, whenever there's not an election, or I guess I should say in our spare time, we also pay very close attention to uh, the city's mobility plan. And we advocate for the implementation of that mobility plan um, whenever the street is about to be repaved, such as um, it's rapidly happening with the ADAPT program, uh, where they're taking advantage of the COVID-19 traffic lull to rapidly repave commercial streets. So we watch that like a hawk and advocate for implementation of our city's own plan when they repave. Um, and then we have street-specific projects. Um, we started an initiative called Venice Boulevard for All. You can go to veniceboulevardforall.com and read about it. Venice Boulevard is the only street in the city of Los Angeles that goes from the ocean to downtown LA that is entirely in the city of Los Angeles. Every other street goes to multiple jurisdictions. So it's a hugely important street that is in the control of the city. It is jurisdictionally complex because it goes through, I think, five or six council districts from the ocean to downtown. But it's a critical street and Venice Boulevard should have a bus lane. Venice Boulevard should have a protected bike lane. Both of those things are on the city's own mobility plan. So that initiative is to, again, get the city to try to implement their own plan. And I guess the last thing I would say is I wish we live in a town where advocates don't have to beg and fight for a city to implement their own plan. I wish the city, uh, you know, if, if this was a for-profit business and they said, this is our 2021 plan, they would be working towards that plan every chance they get. And unfortunately, we live in a place where it doesn't quite work that way. And even though it's a plan, it's just a suggestion. And it's up to the discretion of council members. And Uplift Melrose, for the record, has a protected, Melrose has a protected bike lane for the entire stretch of the street. And so that would have also been implementing the city's own plan. There is a recall movement for council member Koretz for killing it. That. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anything else you want to share with us this week? Um, there's some big things coming up this week. So on Monday, the West Adams Neighborhood Council will consider um, supporting a motion of support for protected bike lanes on Adams Boulevard between Fairfax and La Brea when it gets repaved in December. I'll be presenting. Uh, we've been working with the community for a month and a half now to try to build support for that. And then in a few weeks from now, the Pico Neighborhood Council, they, they tabled this. It was supposed to be last week, but they delayed it to their October meeting. So on October 14th, they will be considering a motion of support for protected bike lanes on San Vicente Boulevard between Fairfax and La Brea when it gets paid in December. Both of these projects are on the mobility plan. So um, those are the two things that are coming up. Oh, and sorry, very lastly, uh, we started a new happy hour session um, once a month. We're gonna bring in people from the city. We're gonna have conversations about transportation and mobility opportunities and challenges here in LA. And on the 14th, um, we will be hosting Adele, who's the general manager of Streets LA. And last month, uh, or this month rather, we had Salida Reynolds on, who's the general manager of LADOT. So uh, that'll be another opportunity for people to um, ask questions and engage and kind of understand from the inside, how does our city work? How does a sausage get made? and how can we enact change. Is this all in one place anywhere? It will be on our website. I don't know if we update our calendar yet, but next week that will be updated. Streetsforall.org. Great. We'll be in, be in touch. Yeah, I mean, see, it's exciting to hear Michael talk because he sounds organized and determined to do bike shit. And uh, it's awesome. And my cat is organized and determined to want to go outside. Hmm. Kitty. No. It's too hot out.
you know, let's go on to the next one. Let's talk about brandalism. Now it's crazy. It's like brandalism. Kitty, what they're doing with the, uh, with their collective is amazing. It's, it's like culture jamming. It's, you know, it's been around for a long time. Robbie Connell, uh, street phantom, you know, people that do political art in our streets. Um, it's kind of a tradition really all over the world, graffiti being political and they are taking it and, uh, culture jamming, uh, advertisements, I guess in the UK, like the UK and Europe to me, you think about small little tiny cars, little sports cars, little tiny fiats and shit like that. But it seems from uh, what brandalism has been doing with their car culture jamming ads is uh, that there's SUVs and big ones coming into the market over there, which is sad to me because um, those cars are, you know, the most dangerous, the ones that create the most pollution and everything. So let's, uh, let's go to the interview and, and uh, see what they're up to. Michelle Talitsky. Hey. hey. Oh my hey. God, you said it right. <laughs> <laughs> we're, trying to, we're trying to get it right. We're trying to... Yeah, nice one. Hi, how are you guys? What time is it where you are? 10 a.m. 10 a.m. Okay, nice. And there's another and over there, spike was it cool. 7 p.m.? Uh, it's 6, 6 in the afternoon, so okay. after a whole day's work. <laughs> Are you, you're in the UK? Yes, I'm in London. London, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. I was in London five years ago for a bike race. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> How do you find <laughs> it cycling around here? Um... It was, uh, okay, so I'm used to riding on the wrong side of the road. So, oh, yeah, of course. But I was riding with a few people. There was a point where a bus um, almost ran me over. And then there was another point where someone yelled out of their car and said, "You, what do you say, you bloody wanker. And <laughs> I kind of just stopped and I was like, I, that was good. I, I I feel good about that. It's the British, it's the London cyclist experience. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> nice one. Yeah, it's, um. it's, been, it's been really interesting living here as a cyclist. I, I'm, I'm proudly an American who doesn't own a driver's license. And, uh, and I've never needed a car in London. I mean, I even moved house with a cargo bike. <laughs> so, like, so you're originally from America? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was born okay. in New York, New okay. York City. Okay. And you you went to the UK. What what brought you to the UK? I'm always um, yeah. Um, so I'm also yeah. Polish. Um, so my family's Polish. So I was already on this side of the pond. We left the US when I was like 15 mm -hmm. uh, for free education because Poland has free higher education. So gonna take care of that and like do that. I did my master's in fine arts uh, in Poland. You've been living in the UK for a number of years now, right? Yeah, like and... over a decade. Something like okay. that. Maybe we should play the uh, video that's up on the Brandalism site. And uh, we can talk about that because I, I, I get the sense from the video that maybe what's going on in the UK is that cars are getting bigger. And that is a condition that we're, we have in the United States. We have these gigantic cars. 
and uh, it's kind of ridiculous. So Nick, why don't we play that video and then we can talk a little bit more about about what um, what, what you're doing out there. My name is Michelle Talitsky. I made the Destination Climate Chaos piece. For this campaign, I took my subvertisement to the underworld of the paintings of Hieronymus Bosch. In his renditions of hell, especially in the Garden of Earthly Delights, you have the creation and damnation scenes of perverse descent. In my collage of his work, my SUV is presented in a hellscape where man can barely be distinguished from beast, a question of humanity's place in nature amidst the nonsensical scene of gluttony. Car commercials are made to inspire wanderlust. All the epic orchestral music, dynamic landscapes you can only explore by car. My piece is about being wandered lost, lost trying to chase this feeling, discovering that natural world, because in the case of super SUVs, you're simultaneously contributing to its destruction. SUVs are larger and heavier than standard cars, emitting four times more CO2 than electric vehicles. In my piece, I chose the Lamborghini Ursus as it's the most excessive supercar SUV. Advertising such luxury commodities plays into the issue of buying social acceptance. No one needs such a machine. They're buying respect through materialism, valuing economic accumulation. Hell has been brought about by consumerism, by overindulgence, and by ego. Okay, so that's... The visual is very powerful, what you created. So, you know, let's, maybe we need to back up and talk about brandalism and, and, uh, and what, what, what you guys have going on as, as a collective and, and uh, tell, us, tell us more about it. And we can, um, I don't know if you can, is my mute on? No, okay, cool. Um, yeah, <laughs> sorry. Um, tell us about brandalism a little and, and what the mission is here. Peter, would you like to do that? Yeah, I'll jump in. Cool. Yeah, and why don't we introduce, okay, so we have- Peter Martin from, from Brandalism, hi. Yeah, so Peter and Michelle, let's, let's go over what Brandalism is and for our audience. Uh, yeah, so um, Brandalism is a guerrilla arts network, um, a tactic of taking over corporate advertising spaces and replacing them with subversive artworks and um, that tactic is, goes back quite a few decades already, back to the, the situationists intervening in, in ad spaces and doing detourments in, in the 60s through to the ad busters in the 90s. But uh, brandalism got going in 2012 in the UK uh, and involves an international network of artists. Um, uh, so we use artwork to critique um, the, the problems created by consumer advertising um, and we put up these artworks on big billboards or in bus stop spaces um, and our latest project uh, just this year involved putting up loads of spoof and parody car adverts to kind of speak back to all the nonsense that we see in car adverts the misleading spacious open roads and exotic locations and beaches and sunsets and all that sort of stuff we wanted to like take that theme and run with it and we had some great submissions including from michelle mm -hmm. i saw on the website um very clever um and you know uh meaningful 
the uh, the uh, it was a, it was an advertisement or a sub subvertisement you call it, yeah. um, where it basically showed a car driver, and you know I hadn't thought of this. It's like climate control inside of your car, and meanwhile outside there's a whole bunch of pollution being spewed onto people just standing on the street. That's uh, that's a very powerful image and. Um, I'm not sure exactly who made that illustration, but that, that was pretty powerful. Uh, I'm kind of looking uh, through all the... That was not by a Welsh guy called Tom Morris, um, who made that, I think it said, air conditioning air conditioning is standard. Um, yeah, that, yeah, that was good, good, good points like that. Also talking about how electric vehicles aren't going to solve all our problems as as welcome as the move is to electric vehicles, um, it's sort of being treated as this great catch-all solution to the, the problems created by cars. And certainly from an air pollution perspective, that is obviously a great improvement. But um, a lot of air pollution, uh, well, from in terms of exhaust pollutions, obviously electric vehicles are a great improvement, but there's still tyre and brake dust and also noise. Actually, the bigger part for, for me is what do we want our cities to look and feel like? What is our lived experience of the urban environment? And in Los Angeles and across America and across Europe as well, car, the car has been, become culturally dominant. Uh, and that is part of a, a car economy. Um, and advertising is part of that car economy. So we don't see adverts for the, the joys and advantages of, of riding your bike or by walking places if you can or of public transport, we do see cars uh, advertising uh, billboards, uh, marketing new cars uh, and to absurd levels, absurd circumstances sometimes. We see motorists stuck in traffic um, and whilst they're stuck in traffic, they're reading a billboard for a new car that's perpetuating the dominance of car culture and it's just absurd. So the air pollution situation in the UK and across Europe is getting to is already at illegal levels and is being recognized as a real public health concern right now. Um, so our argument is that you know we shouldn't be have we shouldn't be having these kind of car adverts that are continuing continuing to entrench the dominance of car culture. Right. I mean in North America or in, in the United States um, I always talk about this. I I actually uh, used to work in car advertising and the budgets were insane. The amount of money that we spend, that car companies spend in the United States is something like 12 to $14 billion a year. Um, just being pumped into our heads everywhere you go, billboards, commercials, uh, you know, sporting events, all kinds of stuff. It's, it's just everywhere. And uh, it's, it's a huge part of our economy. It's like, how do you, I always feel like Europe is, is um, safe from that, but I guess it's sort of creeping up on you guys, right? Like, is, do you feel like more and more car culture is sort of creeping in, in Europe or how, yeah, I remember I remember hitchhiking across Italy ten years ago and chatting to a guy and he said, Oh yeah, we don't really have that kind of big car culture here. He was into big cars, big SUVs and truck pickup trucks and stuff. And he said, Yeah, we don't really have a big car culture in Europe, he said. And I thought, Yeah, thank goodness we don't. And that was ten years ago, but now we do. 
we do have a big car culture and it's partly because car companies have switched and shifted loads of their advertising budgets over to marketing large SUVs because they're much more profitable. Um, and so we've seen now, I think, I think globally, 40% of new uh, car sales are SUVs. Um, so the car companies have acted really irresponsibly. They've, they've not only delayed decent um, legislation and regulation to help improve uh, car performance and environmental performances, they've, but they've, they've also aggressively marketed um, bigger polluting vehicles that take up loads of space because they're more profitable. So this, <laughs> I have to admit, this, um, this car advertising project that went out across six UK cities recently was partly an emotional response to like being bombarded with these, uh, with that, the lived experience uh, and domination of cars in our city spaces. So uh, this is Nick. I've just been kind of lurking, but I guess I have, okay. I have stuff I want to add. Is, uh, Peter, so how does this operation work? I mean, do you have artists just uh, uh, you commission? I don't understand your, your uh, collective and like how it works. Well, so what we do is we, there's a, there's a few, there's a few people in the brandalism team. Uh, and what we tend to do is put, get, put together a call out. So write up some ideas, kind of a theme. Maybe we're going to do a project in a particular place. Like we did a big project in Paris just before the United Nations climate talks in 2015. Uh, or maybe we want to address a particular issue like uh, the role of Shell oil company, or in this case, car adverts. We write up a, a brief, a PDF, and then we, we send that out to artist friends like Michelle. Um, and the art, um, an artist was get involved and participate if they want to um, and send in their work. And then a, a separate teams, a teams of trained kind of guerrilla installation teams, if you like, go out and uh, dressed in high vis, usually in the middle of the day, sometimes not, uh, and go out and put these up. So the artists send in the artwork and then there's a separate team that goes out and just takes over these ad spaces using certain keys to get into the bus stop ad spaces, high vis jackets or buckets and brushes and ladders. And then, uh, then we take the photos, do some videography and do some press and social media around that. That's the basic model that we use. And, and for oh. Michelle's project, it, can you describe your, the project you did? The one that, but that's behind you anyway? For like a visual description of it, a super SUV Lamborghini advert, but set in a hellscape of one of the 15th century painters, Hieronymus Bosch, who does all these creatures and they're all kind of showing different um, sins of greed and kind of excessiveness and consumption and consumerism. This Lamborghini is in the middle of this whole hellish landscape which is essentially like where we're heading with climate change. In the middle of the billboard, it says destination climate chaos, um, which is where we're heading with, uh, with these kind of vehicles uh, dominating the roads. And I've added this kind of uh, 15th century oil painting cracking effect. So it looks like it's all part of the same scene. Uh, it kind of, because it looks glossy like that, this is what we really like doing in subvertising which essentially means subversive advertising. So it's about making something look like an advert, but then you have this double take and you're like, wait, is that meant to be there? And then the messaging is so not advertising and uh, it creates this cognitive dissonance and the surrealist kind of element to it. And then we see, oh, there's a different message here. We can reclaim this space with art and uh, campaign material.
So yeah, that's kind of what you see there. I noticed that um, Robbie Connell is on your page. Is he kind of the head or one of the part of the leadership here in Los Angeles? Is that, um, are you guys, like, is this model taking hold not only in Europe, but it seems like it's, it could, you know, happen out here. I'm pretty excited about this, actually. I don't know exactly um, how to express that, but it's, it's pretty amazing what you guys are doing over there. And I want to see this in Los Angeles. What, what, how is this going to happen here? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Robbie Connell uh, contributed some artwork to our 2015 project in, in Paris for the, just before the United Nations climate talks. Um, uh, yeah, we work with over 150 different artists from around the world. Some artists have just contributed to one project. Some have contributed to several. Um, but the the model is replicable um, because... Like, could we get Michelle's artwork in Los Angeles? Is there a team that's available to to do that? Like, well, right, is that how... Yeah, well, I mean... The tactic isn't that difficult, meaning, you know, the so the bus stop spaces are, are uniform or universal all over the world. The actual mechanisms are different, but there's this great website by um, called um, the Public uh, Public Access Campaign from um, based out of New York. I'll check that web link in a moment. But on that website, uh, he's got a map of of the world and all the cities marked on it and you can click on your city like Los Angeles and check the, the type of key that you need to access that bus stop space and it's usually basically an allen key with a hole in it some variation of an allen key so thanks to globalization a lot of bus stop adverts spaces are definitely the same shape which is six foot tall by four foot wide that kind of portrait shape that we, people will be familiar with for the most part um, and then you've got your bigger billboard spaces, which can vary a bit. And I'm sure Michelle would be happy to share your artwork with. with some yeah, LA. totally. Paste it up. Paste it all over the place. <laughs> so look, if there's a crew, if there's a crew in Los Angeles, I suppose the the the, the main barrier to this tactic is is printing costs, and mm. so trying to find a way um, to either do either draw your own artworks or to get them printed. Now, we can in the UK, we can get them printed for about, I think, what twelve dollars a bus stop for about twelve dollars a piece, roughly speaking. So you could do ten bus stops for you know one hundred twenty dollars or something like that. And the bigger, the bigger full color billboards might might set you back sixty, seventy dollars. But I'm really just absolutely guessing there. So if you can sort of do a like crowd fundraiser or somehow fundraise like. or less or whatever you can afford. You could do a handful of bus stops or also, so that's for a full takeover of a full billboard. The other option, which um, America has a a long history of with the Billboard Liberation Front and others, is just to alter existing adverts when you see them about. And it's a bit more responsive and it takes, um, yeah, just a bit more like, creative like opportunistic spotting of adverts and being like oh i could switch that wording around or i could come back with a an s and change that s to a t and change the slogan or whatever you know that kind of 
culture jamming sometimes called ad busting you know that, that america has a huge history of that so that's the kind of more um creative artistic uh, tinkering that can be just as effective even even better sometimes we have a local you know the local graffiti graffiti writers um will often or there was a movement that actually started in the early 90s um but uh, was kind of taken to new levels in the mid, like 2000, you know, 2005 or so. The graffiti writers were rearranging uh, movie billboards to, to make it say their name. Um, of course, uh, you know, it's not political in nature. It's sort of more like American fame graffiti, but, I'd, you know, it'd be amazing to see um, something like that emerge with political meaning to it. It's really cool. So I think one of the earliest uh, memories I have of culture jamming here in Los Angeles was seeing a camel cigarette billboard change to say cancer, which I thought I was, that was stuck with me since I was, since I was a kid. So that, that's amazing. Joe Kimo, Joe Kimo is famous in ad advertising, uh, sorry, ad busting that history. You know, those were brilliant. Uh, or it's that crew bugger up that was a bunch of graffiti artists that got together with doctors and uh, they rearranged billboards and adverts to kind of bring attention to the harmful nature of uh, uh, cigarettes and alcohol adverts and that actually this was on Australia and actually as a result of this this brought it to the public kind of conversation of, of, uh, of and then eventually banning most tobacco advertising as a result so it's kind of a cool story because you see that this kind of you know five dollars worth of spray paint can actually go a really long way with uh, if you've got the right messaging and the right idea um, and if you look at those guys those guys are on the right side of history right so that's yeah. back in 1979 throughout the 80s that bugger up crew in australia uh, altering tobacco adverts and now in a lot of countries including australia and across europe tobacco advertising is banned uh it's, you know, we don't we don't put up with having promotions and marketing campaigns to promote such an unhealthy product. Tobacco itself is not banned, of course, because, you know, that's a different argument to say whether someone can or can't consume something. But let's, with the kind of anti-advertising networks that are emerging in Europe and elsewhere, it's to say, well, if we recognize a product is harmful, like SUVs or like fossil fuel company adverts or uh, other types of damaging products, well, at the very least, can we stop advertising the things um, and stop promoting them through these highly sophisticated marketing campaigns that advertisers throw at us? So um, there's groups in the UK like the, the, the advertising campaign that's calling for um, an end to SUV advertising. There's groups in Germany calling for the same thing and, and Belgium and the Netherlands too. So uh, worth checking out those kind of NGO uh, charity campaigns that are trying to push for legislative change. What brandalism is doing is kind of guerrilla arts, creative, creative responses to try and push this conversation in the public imagination. We did a uh, wheat paste campaign out here. I've gone on missions with uh, Robbie Connell. He'll he'll have like a public uh, like wheat paste campaign, and he just like distributes posters and people go out in teams. And uh, we did a campaign out here called. Um, please pass with care. It was like a bicycle. It was meant to look like a, a shero. I don't know if you're familiar with that marking, but um, 
it was posted up on uh, electric boxes everywhere around the city by 50 or 60 cyclists, um, you know, in teams of three or four. And we, we managed to cover most of the city with these posters and it lasted for about a year or so before they kind of withered away. Um, God, it's, it's like, I, I want to, I want to be part of this somehow. <laughs> how can people get involved? Would, it, would they just go to the site and sign up or how does this, how does this work? How do you guys trust people? to get involved in, and actually, I guess, you know, what are the legal ramifications that you've found? Michelle? Uh, yeah, so, uh, well, the whole idea of this movement is about kind of making it accessible to everyone so everyone can have these tools. It's not about being an exclusive secret club. Um, so uh, over at Brandalism, they have a take action section where you can download a subvertising manual, which talks about, uh, yeah, the technicalities, the legal aspects of it, and uh, yeah, shows you what keys you need for the bus stops. I don't think there's much about billboards, but that is actually quite, uh, I think we should put, so they should put something like that up there. Um, but you can also Google that. Um, but yeah, it just shows all the information. And it's really about the DIY culture that everyone can do this. Um, and also, yeah, go ahead. I'll do a shout for yeah the the resources on the Brandalism web website, which is brandalism.ch slash take action. Yeah. Um, but also uh, one of the co-founders of Brandalism, Bill Poster, has got a new book out recently called the, the Street Art Manual. And that looks at how you can, the techniques, not only for doing billboard takeovers and bus stop takeovers, but all sorts of um, street art tactics, whether that's fire extinguishers filled with paint to do kind of uh, you know it's high pressure um, paint jobs or yarn yarn bombing which is a, a thing for wrapping trees in in knitted patterns oh, yeah. yarn bombing for some reason loads of tactics in in the street art manual so check that book out it's just come out recently and as for the legal stuff well i uh, don't know the exact laws in the usa but um in different european countries it's somewhere in the region of like fly, po fly posting. So whatever the laws around fly posting are, um, it might be considered criminal damage to, to paste over someone's poster, so an advertiser's existing poster. Uh, I suppose if you took a poster down from a, uh, a bus stop or something and took it away, then that could be classified as theft. Potentially, again, I don't know the laws in each country, but what's encouraging is, yeah, these are low. These are low misdemeanor crimes. Um, you're talking about taking away a, a bit of paper, or you're talking about doing a bit of fly posting, and maybe that comes with high penalties in some U.S. cities. But for the most part, especially if it's creative, and if you try not to get caught, um, you'll, you'll be all right. But some people do get caught, um, and you know, best just to wear high vis. Do it in broad daylight. Act like you're, you're a work person whose job it is to change it. And nearly all the time, no one, no one bats an eyelid at you. I love how uh, organized it appears that Europeans are versus um, the vandals in our country. Just seem uh, speaking as a as a as a graffiti writer for a long time. Uh, it seems like we're just very much kind of on our own and in a way selfish but there there are teams that work together but 
it seems like in Europe you guys have the the teamwork and um, uh, cleverness uh, going for you. Out here in LA, it's actually a felony to uh, to do more than five hundred dollars in damage, and it's really easy for them to assess uh, five hundred dollars in damage on any kind of uh, you know graffiti vandalism or whatever. So it's it's a little bit. It's it's a little scary here, but we pasting is different. We pasting doesn't seem to get the uh, it doesn't seem to get the penalties that that uh, spray paint art does. So. The, the, the parallels are drawn between subvertising and graffiti culture or street art culture. I mean, one is the the, the obvious creativity of the art form, uh, but also that kind of like get up and go and just just do it kind of attitude of graffiti writers. Um, at a political level, a uh, kind of discussion about public space is who has who has the who has the right to the city, who has the right to access the visual realm of the city, and I think that's something that graffiti writers have contested since their inception, which is to say, well, if advertisers can pay to put their messages up, well, where's the space for other people who don't have the money to pay? So whether that's civil society groups. Uh, local residents associations, your local volunteer, your local soup kitchen, you know, they, they typically don't have the money to access these kind of huge corporate advertising spaces. And so subvertising is a way for groups to like shortcut that, that economic logic um, and to reclaim some of that visual realm. And I think graffiti writers have been doing that for decades already or, or longer. Um, it, it just comes with a, has a kind of different aesthetic like the spray can on the wall is a different aesthetic from you know a, a, an artwork which is pasted up on a corporate ad space billboard already and and certainly in the in in the uk they would be treated differently by the law and kind of they're viewed differently by the public but you know at their root they have a kind of similar contestation about public space at their heart yeah if you really you know if you really think about it our 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 it's so classist. I mean, if you have $10,000, you get to have your message broadcast on this particular street on a billboard. Um, so we're always going to hear messages from, from wealthy interests, from big money interests. We're always going to hear those messages over any other messages. If, if a soup kitchen had a $14 billion budget, I think we'd, be a, a better country, right? Like it's, it's insane that, and it's not really part of the conversation here in America. We don't really like, we don't really talk about that as much as we should. So it's, it's fascinating. It seems like Europeans are more conscious of this um, versus Americans. American, we just sort of accept consumer culture and, and uh, status symbol culture, like, like it's normal, and we just don't question ourselves as much. It seems. Uh, speaking from a UK perspective, you know, we share some of those features of like Anglo-American capitalism, that hyper-consumption, that hyper-consumerist mindset, where our aspirations are expressed through purchases and advertising shapes our de our desires, and that is also true of. of like European capitalism as well. I think it is slightly less, like to a lesser extent, 
um, than the kind of kind of garish, full frontal consumer advertising that certainly America um, is used to, and to a lesser extent, the UK also experiences. Yeah, we're just kind of like blah, like we just don't care. We're just like, or we even call ourselves consumers on the news. I hate that. It's like they'll report and they'll be like, consumers did this and that, and you know, consumer trends, and it's like. Stop calling me a consumer. We're people, you know, like consuming. I don't know. It's it's so normal here. It's like you just want to shake it up somehow. I mean, Robbie Robbie Connell is is uh, you know he's a local kind of hero, and he's been wee pasting forever. So people like him are out there, but it's 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 not as strong as it should be. Hopefully, we'll see a chapter develop here in Los Angeles. Yeah, if anyone wants some support, we've got, um, you can get us on brandalism at riseup.net. And we've also got an international network called the Subvertisers International, um, who do kind of joint actions about once a year. We were due to do one in March, but it got cancelled due to coronavirus. Um, so check out the Subvertisers International um, if you're looking for a, a local group near you. And there aren't loads but there's a few around the world and if you want any more help then shout us at brandalism at riseup.net well right on um thanks for coming on the show you guys um it's really inspiring michelle your artwork is um, fantastic um how can we follow your your work um you know the the group and both of you as individuals give us the the uh your individual uh, channels. Sure. I mean, so I don't really use that much of social media myself, but there's another UK uh, subvertising collective uh, called Special Patrol Group, and they often publish my work. Um, and that's it's sim- very similar to Brandalism, where they do a lot of like workshops and train people up and then kind of make it accessible, but also publish a lot of what's uh, not just put up by them, but also around the world. So it's another hub like uh, what Peter mentioned, Subvertisers International. Uh, it's another UK group. Uh, so they often, Special Patrol group on Facebook, um, they often show some of my stuff. Yeah. Okay, so on <laughs> Facebook it's called? Special Patrol group. Special Patrol group, okay. Yeah, that's the one. And and I, I, like, I like how you're, you're insulated as an artist from the, like you can create the artwork and then people will put it up so therefore you're protected as an artist from yeah. the legal ramifications. That's a great yeah, model. It. Yeah, there's, a, there's another website called Steal This Poster, which is a bit of an anti-copyright project where artists can upload high definition like posters, billboards. So anyone else can uh, print it out and put it up. And that's also kind of like a legal um, protection because we're like, oh, well, we uploaded it there and somebody put it up, you know? definitely oh, wasn't me. Great. you know so that's also another uh, resource so um, you can always upload artwork uh, via that website stealthisposter.org um, and then that's another kind of protection clause I guess uh, and a lot of it's anonymous like um, a lot of that stuff's anonymous for fun because <laughs> it gives more mystique as well and shows the movement's big <laughs> and Peter you're going to mention some channels to, um, to look yeah, out for we're just on we're on brandalism uk on twitter um we're not on facebook i think and we're 
yeah, Brandism UK on Twitter. That's us. Our Twitter account is annoyingly suspended at the moment, but hopefully we'll be back up and running soon. Okay. Okay. Um, Nick, got anything you want to add? No, I think you handled that brilliantly. Can <laughs> <laughs> hear about your project? I'm going to be looking forward to listening to your um, previous um, this American bike and uh, your previous bike bike talk podcast. Yeah, it's really good. They're really excellent. I had a listen earlier. It's really cool. Oh, thank you. We we yeah. didn't even talk about that you the fact that you're a cyclist we barely touched on that so. <laughs> yeah yeah definitely i don't have a driver's license and been cycling i'm pretty sure peter's the same and where where he's based well i know peter are you allowed to say where you're based do you feel comfortable saying that um yeah i'm based uh, around bristol but sometimes manchester london a few other cities but yeah okay okay all right um well, we'd love to have you guys back on and, and uh, you know, anytime you guys have some projects that you want to highlight and talk more about cycling and hey, anytime you guys are coming to LA, you know, look us up. Like it's one big bike family out here. <laughs> and, nice. uh, yeah, we'll people are definitely down for these kind of projects for sure. So yeah, we'll be the folks uh, standing at the billboard in high vis with posters and I had you. You'll see it. <laughs> <laughs> love it okay thanks for uh coming on the show you guys um we'll see you soon nice one thank you hello oh hey hey wow do we still have people no that's uh i'm still here hey, hey jennifer <laughs> very well done i posted the link on facebook for brandalism yeah, you had an oh, cool. article that you shared. Yeah, I, I shared it in the chat. <clears throat> and it showed the uh, the image that she was discussing with the Lamborghini and the Hieronimo Bosch background. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. It, it, it's hell, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the Lamborghini. You've got a Lamborghini, but you're in hell. <laughs> it's uh almost like you're um you're being protected by the lamborghini from hell right i mean as long <laughs> as you've got that that you're inside that yeah that comfort well that's the whole point isn't it i mean i'm right now i was thinking about it i haven't owned a car since 1968 well yeah wow I know it's a long time and I've been out there in the weather, you know, not bad weather because I've been in Puerto Rico and Los Angeles. That's pretty good weather. But, um, you know, I was thinking about these days with this, um, the air quality index shooting up almost to 200. And I have some masks, but, you know, hopefully they're good enough. I was riding this week and it was like 170 or something like that air quality. Yeah. And I sort of felt, uh-oh, I'm getting a little bit of feeling in my, you know, my throat. So I quickly mm -hmm. took a lots of vitamin C and zinc and sore throat lozenges. And it's all, you know, it's gone. And my eyes are all stingy. So it's like, whoa, you know, a Lamborghini wouldn't be bad. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> not really. Jennifer Gill is finally going to get a car, huh? Yeah, Lamborghini, a Lamborghini. you know, sure. <laughs> Uh, those, really. those Italian Italian cars are junk piles. They yeah, just, no, I like Jaguars better. 
<laughs> Jaguars are junked. Oh, okay. What? What should I get? A um, Bucati. What's it called? No. What's a, it's a car, One of those little Fiats, the electric Fiat. Trash. Get a Toyota. Toyota. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like I a, mean, the thing is, I don't really want to do that, but no, don't, don't. I don't won't. Go, but yeah, yeah. You'll be but, like you're like the Ruth Bader Bins, Ruth Bader Ginsburg of the bike scene. Uh, there's no like, way I can do it now. It's too late. I've I've dragged yeah. long. Every, everybody else is is like falling back into car culture and. You're our last holdout. You're, you're I'm we're, holding we're out, for you. yeah. <laughs> but it's tough. And and I am riding with my mask during these this weather. And I I have another friend who wears a mask all the time and been wearing one for thirty years. So I go, okay. Well, if he can do it for thirty years, he's been a messenger. Now he's working at a bike shop. I don't know if you know Lance Edwards. Do you know him? I he wearing a mask for pollution? Is that what you're saying? Not really. He's wearing those, um, you know, the mask, the the paisley mask, the um, the typical cowboy mask. You know that? Oh, mask? the bandana. The bandana. Yeah, he's been wearing a bandana for thirty years because of pollution. Well, that yeah. doesn't help, does it? Well, it does. And, and does it filter out the particulates? I guess so, because he's been doing it for 30 years. He's still alive. And he's 60 something. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, well, I mean so you know, I'm just saying, yeah. you know, it's it's like we're we're really we're being we're being suppressed by Corona and COVID and, and the pollution. But there are some of us that, you know, we're still we'll still go without a car. We're still riding without a car. So. We love you oh, vicariously. Oh. We live through you. Oh. Nick actually drive. Nick drives to KPFK. It's really disgusting. Oh, but, uh, <laughs> he's not there. He's at home. I know he's at home because I've been. Well, to when, when we have the show, we both drive there. We're just oh. disgusting. We I are, are horrible people. Yeah. Well, yeah. Maybe we could talk about how you know I I rationalize that. And How's I mean, that? I mean, okay. There's a lot of things that my values would dictate that I don't do. Well, okay. that's the main one, really. This is going to be one big, long TLDR about why you drive cars to KPFK. <laughs> what is TLDR like? Like TMI? Too long, didn't rain. TMI. <laughs> no, go ahead. Is it so what is your rationale? I want to hear this rationale. No, well, it's just for biking, really. I can't think of anything else. Well, maybe there's something else. The but... rationale is that we drive like champions. So, like, we drive hyper mile. You know, we drive slow. Champions and, hyper mile. Uh, huh? Champions hyper mile. Hyper miling. I think that was one of the bingo. Should be. One yeah one of the bike talk bingo squares we gotta hit on all those before we, we so I, don and i would would drive <laughs> from kpfk and we would, we would be on the phone we were on yeah, the phone we were on the in headset. constant communication headsets yeah headsets like, hands free. but we're in, in constant communication heading to you know the freeway which is about what six miles away or something or five miles away it felt like yeah and I would teach Nick how to hypermile where you are not. Sensei. I'm going to call you Sensei. Okay, that works. And you, you basically are trying never to, to come to a complete stop. 
Uh, like oh, you were, yeah, yeah. You, it's the most efficient way to drive. You get I incredible gas mileage, and you can attest to this. Nick. On the on the car I was driving, I had uh, mileage shown, and normally I was getting like thirty four miles per hour. I mean, not miles, miles per gallon. Right. You were and, getting thirty four miles per gallon. Yeah. For some reason, I'm. I don't know what I'm. I don't. I. I don't know. That's pretty good. Are you, what do you, well, you got a hybrid or something? It's supposed to be higher, you know, with that, okay. with the Prius. Oh, it's a Prius. Okay. So you get well, 34. Yeah, okay. So that's what you normally get. So but with our hypermiling. I, it was so. 60 something. It was the highest. I didn't even think that was a Do you hear this, people? <laughs> do you hear this? 60 miles per gallon. It can happen for you. It can happen for you. Hypermiling. Uh, we we I mean, there were people there were people in their cars. It's it's true. They lose their oh, we, fucking we might, minds. Yeah, I mean, you might. Well, I, I was, we were afraid of getting shot. A bullet. Yeah, but there were people behind us, and we're just timing the lights. Like you, like if you see a red light up ahead, you immediately let off the gas. You know, way back, and you wanna you wanna actually catch the green light at mid block. You wanna be mid block back. When the light and goes Don green. had this like really calm, you know, <laughs> it's it like a play by play. All right. So we got a, we got a, a green up at Chandler. What well, we got, what this is a, this is a fresh green. <laughs> and you it was like, this is a channel. So you can give it a little bit of gas, get up there a little bit. I was like the Bob Ross of uh, yeah. Yeah. driving. <laughs> the Bob <laughs> Ross of driving. Just give it a little, a little waft of, of gas and get us up there okay now let off the gas and there's a red light up ahead it's a stale red come on and it's not just a red and a green it's like it's like you know yeah it's like switching lanes (laughs) yeah if somebody you know you got to read traffic too somebody is up ahead and you 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 could sense that they're going to make a left turn and stop up well i believe you can sense when people are about to try to change lanes i believe absolutely absolutely so you you just gotta go you know you cruise over to the right you get around them don't put on the gas too hard just keep it real calm 60 miles a gallon yeah that's i'm here i'm i am like the the after picture and People weren't really going faster than us. I mean, they were beating us to the light, but then they stop at the light for 20 seconds. And then we approach that they, you know, they passed us and we approach and we just coast through the light. As you, know, it was green. you know, Dawn, that's exactly what I do on my bike. Yes. I'm always watching, you know, so I don't have to take my feet off the pedals and people are like, you're crazy. And I'm like, no, I mean, I really do slow down and I, and I try to figure it out. I'm not always correct. And I sometimes have to step on the ground. But quite often I'm watching that light and people are passing me like crazy. And then, you know, here I am pulling right up to on the bike, in the bike lane, right up to the uh, crosswalk, way past everybody. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Start out again. Yeah. And, and it's, it's you know goes back to what like the brandalism thing was all about it's like i think because we've been pumped in our heads with so much car marketing and when it comes to cars there's only really a couple ways you can make the product better 
one of them is to go faster. Yeah, yeah. but and the you cannot. One you, zero to the one. pickup speed too. Yeah, something. yeah. <laughs> You're supposed to launch right off of the the light, the red yep. light. But the thing is, is in a, any street grid ever in the world, the problem is, is that you've got these competing interests with cross traffic. You know, the cross town streets also expect to, you know, go fast or also expect to have uh, equal uh, opportunity at the intersections with the green light. So you can't just have you know, like say Sunset Boulevard, all green all the time, there's competing yeah. interests. So the, so you're, you're just never going to average more than 20 miles an hour anyways on your trip speed. You can test this with Google. You can go to Google yeah. and they will take the traffic history and they'll calculate your trip. You can, you can set the trip time for 4 a.m. when there's no traffic you're still only going to get a trip time of average of 20, 25 miles an hour. Wow. Because, because of the grid, because it's just simply impossible. So the LADOT, when they put these big speed limit signs and they keep jacking up the speed limits, they're just jacking up your anxiety, your uh, false hope by giving you these giant signs saying you should be going 45 miles an hour. That's a false hope. I think that's why people race from red light to red light, you know? Well, you know what? I almost think it's competitive too, because I, I feel like people start to step on their gas really hard to want to pass me. And then they stop at the light and I'm already, then I come right up to them and pass, you know, I'm, I get ahead of them. So they see me, they see me there. And I'm like, why did you do that? You know? And, and they really waste a lot of gas when they, they pass me like that, you know? And, and the thing about hypermiling, right, Nick, is, you know, we're going at about the speed of a cyclist. We're maybe going on the lower end of, of the speed of a cyclist, you're like 12 miles an hour. On well, the I'm higher not even end, that fast, but anyway. <laughs> nine miles an hour, yeah. eight miles an hour. Yeah, I'm on like, the high I'm, end between of, that. Of, I'm in there. A, a, a bike rider can achieve something like 21 or 22 sure. miles an hour someone who's fast or whatever, but on the car, if you're going 15 to 20, sometimes 25 miles an hour, that's not dangerous. When you're approaching a cyclist, you're just slowly passing a cyclist versus zooming right past them at 45 miles an hour and stopping a light. It's more of a bicycle friendly speed to be able to hyper mile in your car. So I don't know, maybe there needs to be some kind of conversation. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, what I was thinking is, is, is uh, ground zero a lot of times for me are the bus drivers who operate these buses, these huge buses, like they're driving a regular car and they're <laughs> zooming up to red lights. And when you're on the bus, that's not even comfortable. It's like the lurching and all this stuff. It's like, relax, slow down. Like, I think metro emphasizes speed so much rather than frequency you've got these bus drivers that are just jamming through the city um only achieving 12 miles an hour anyways because they have to stop but it's like if they (laughs) just relaxed yeah Yeah. (laughs) you pass them and then sometimes they pass you and they squeeze you out you know 
it's it's just the bad driving habits. I think they're just like regular drivers and they have yeah. bad driving habits. Yeah. Metro, if we could get something through Metro, the Metro board that where we have a directive where we're, we're teaching drivers, bus drivers to hypermile, we'd save <laughs> on, it would save on energy. We'd save on, uh, you know, the mechanics of the bus. Yeah. Because that puts a lot of strain on these machines when you're just lurching around. Well, you know and it, would, like? it would help I, regulate traffic. Yeah, what I like about the word hyper mile, it's kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? Because you're thinking, <laughs> you're thinking oh, it's fast, you know, and then, but really, you're kind of making it into something that's, it is fast, but it's not the kind of fast that you think it is, you know? Yeah, it's like hyperspace in Star yeah. Wars. Or hyperspeed. Hyper yeah, hyperspeed. We would feel cool while it's driving cool. slow. Yeah. But really, you're being, you're getting there. <laughs> yeah, I don't we know. We need to make ads. We need to make ads. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think so. I think so. Um, looking like, like, what looking is like, this um, Gen X bullshit? It started no, with like, the Lamborghini, I think. Yeah. Right. But, like, um, could, but, but uh, you know, just to finish my point, it's like you get Metro to train their driver's hypermile. Then you can get to like FedEx and UPS yeah. and even Uber and Lyft. Yeah. And you get these corporations to understand that the, the, the slower you go, the more gas you're going to save and you're still, your trip speed isn't going to change much. Yeah. And you, you, you're less likely to get in a crash and or kill people. Yeah. And, and yeah, to draw liability if we can get all these corporations that have a lot of fleets of drivers to, to understand this and transform their drivers, then traffic, you know, you're talking about 30, 40, probably 40%, 50% of traffic is, you know, work trucks and Metro and delivery trucks and things like that. You could really have an effect on, Traffic speeds that way, I think. And and petroleum consumption. Yeah, petroleum consumption. You calm. I mean, I've, I find that when I drive hypermile style, like a few people get caught up in it. Like they get caught behind me. And, <laughs> and uh, like some people lose their minds and they speed around. Me, but <laughs> I know. A lot of, talking, I'm talking about people that pass me and they, they can't pass. They do that to so, cyclists. You know? Yeah, that's like a matter of habit for yeah, people in cyclists. But, they got to get past this guy. Just, just and the go. same thing goes when you're driving a car. But some people end up just driving as slow as you do behind you. You know, and they. Yeah, they do. Yeah, so, it, you know, you could, you could have an influence. You open some, well, some I think you should, draw, you should draw up um, a campaign, as, as uh, Nick said. We need to use this this idea of hyper driving because when you first said it, I'm like, "What are you guys going to be speeding through the red lights? What are you doing?" You know. <laughs> and so I think yeah. it, it's a funny I don't even know game, who. You know. I'm not even sure who coined that word, hypermiling. Oh. But when I first, I mean, when I first learned about it, I was, a, you know, a kid, and my dad was telling me all about it, but he didn't call it hypermiling. He was just he was just a frugal, frugal guy. So uh -huh. he, he would drive that way as a matter of saving gas. Uh, yeah, saving gas, not getting tickets, saving brakes, saving the engines. Brakes. Yep. And he would preach about it. And I'd be like, Dad, 
I would like lose my mind because to me he was driving like a slow old man, you know. So but... it has a Wikipedia page. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, my dad had a thing with the gears, and he didn't like to use the gears, so he would always be not breaking but using the gears to break. Oh, that's in a way, bad. that wasn't quite the same because he was kind of a speed freak. But, but it was interesting, you know, in those days, people were, were concerned about the mechanics of a car. And now I don't think people care. They just Well, what's funny, away. it's funny that you mention that because I've heard people talk about using their gears to slow down. Yeah. But that's actually the worst thing you can do. <laughs> you're you're putting a huge strain on the, the gearbox and the engine. But you have to um, do it correctly because that's the point. If no, you play correctly, then you jam it. You know, that, um, that's what he. You should never use your gears to slow your car down. Okay. You get like the brake pads cost you know yeah <laughs> changing the brake pads is like you know 50 bucks a wheel or whatever it is 100 bucks a wheel changing your transmission and your engine because they've been you know strained yeah every day for 10 years that's thousands of dollars 10 years yeah whenever i would yeah, yeah, have you had my car i've had my cars for 20 years now that's good. have you heard about this what I'm seeing repeated now is that it's even worse. The, the, the emissions or air quality uh, pollution is worse from brakes and oh, tires wow. than, than tires and brake material. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh -huh. Asbestos. Asbestos brakes used to be made out of asbestos. I don't think they do that well, anymore. I but... don't even think it's just asbestos. I mean, I think the tires too, like, the, Oh Yeah. And I, I'm curious what uh, the streets themselves give off because Ugh, a street, horrible. when they repave it, you know, yeah, uh -huh. it's a horrible, fresh smell of oil, but that oil doesn't just, it evaporates. Yeah. So the entire life of that street, it's just evaporating oil and, you know, emissions from that asphalt into the air until it dries out completely. And then they repave it with more, asphalt and oil like that has to be a huge amount of pollution coming off that what is asphalt it's oil it's just like it's it's, it's tar yeah it's, yeah it's petroleum product yeah it's like tar it's like dried out oil right. or something it's horrible so how much of you know considering how many miles of road we have like six thousand miles of streets in los angeles how much pollution is coming off those roads every single day as a matter of evaporation well, is there an alternative to asphalt? Concrete. They used to make streets out of concrete. The street would last a hundred years. The problem is that we, you know, we're kind okay, of in listen a great to this. country. Here, here's what asphalt is. It's a heavy dark brown to black mineral substance, one of several mixtures of hydrocarbons called bitumens. And hydrocarbon, that's my thing, like, you know, don't uh, burn uh, carbohydrates, not hydrocarbons. So anyway, that's asphalt. Um, yeah. I think you're on the team. You're on the marketing team. Yeah, there you go. Asphalt <laughs> binds crushed stone and gravel, commonly known as aggregate, into firm, tough surfaces for roads, streets, and airports. Anyway, so it's hydro, 
carbons, bitumens. That's what it's made up of. It sounds bad. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's I mean, the petroleum companies are always looking for ways to use their waste that they generate from yeah. from oil production. So at some point, you know, I was just seeing some, uh, it was like a special on PBS or something about the the, the idea of plastic, you know, yeah. it, plastic is a byproduct of oil production, right? And, yeah, that's right. And they somehow hoodwinked us all into like wrapping every goddamn thing in plastic and plastic, you know, being used for uh, merchandising and to put fruit in plastic and all this stuff. And it's really just using their byproducts. It's It's more oil pollution yep. you know in our, in our society so hydrocarbon broken down is an organic compound consisting of hydrogen and carbon so there you go carbon well that doesn't sound terrible hydrogen, hydrogen? and carbon well carbon is, is we always carbon is bad carbon. Yeah, that's, that's coal you know that's that's what okay, wait, so we are we are carbon based though that's yeah. life forms I've learned from Star Trek or someplace. Do we have like, do we have a person who's actually educated in climate science who can uh, well, this is weigh in? Chemistry. Yeah, what's his name? Jacob knows a lot. He's, he teaches chemistry, right? No, uh, let's call him up. Get the word on this. It'll How much pollution is coming yeah. off our streets? The remaining two minutes we have will be taken up by trying yeah, to we could. Him. Well, we could call, we can <laughs> call at another meeting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, let's get them on and let's talk about the pollution coming out the cool. the asphalt. That'd be great. And and, and, and your two subjects: your hyper um, hyper mileage, mileage, and hydrocarbons. I think I want to make a video. I want to make a video about hyper mileage. That'd be great. I have. I have been. That thought has not left me for the past fifteen minutes. Nick, what? why don't you videotape me hyper mileage? Yeah. Okay, and we'll make a we'll make a like a five part series on how to achieve the highest gas mileage possible from your vehicle. I have a feeling like I have a I have a four by four. It's so terrible, but I hypermile that thing. I baby that thing, and it. I guarantee you, I get close to thirty miles per gallon on that wow. thing and that thing is a gas guzzler and that's not even in their that's not even indicated in their market well maybe we should do it on a prius so that it's a it's a hybrid you know well, like, we could do we could do prius we could do a gas guzzler do yeah. other gas guzzlers that have that mile per gallon meter i don't have that in my car so unfortunately it's yeah, how do you know because of uh when i fill up i i oh. uh i generally get a lot of miles out of a tank but I, I'm gonna. I should do that. I should actually. I guess there's a way to do it. You fill your tank all the way up, and then you drive around. For all right, much. All right. Are we gonna write a script or something? Okay. Uh, yeah. Let's. What are we gonna call it? Hyper miling. Hyper mileage and hydrocarbons. I think you should do both the asphalt and the and the car and the hyper mile. Okay. okay. Because so, you are dealing with it in term. If you're braking, then you're screwing up the asphalt. You know, right. and then you're using well, 
more gas by because you have to hurry up and take off again instead of yeah. just I mean, there's in. there's multiple things that you're doing by hyper the hyper mile challenge. It's also we safety. Take the biggest gas guzzler and see how many miles we can get out of it. it, it there you go. It's also that safety. Fun, wouldn't it? That would be wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, that'd be fun. I, I shouldn't right. be promoting driving a car, but maybe I could do it on a bike. <laughs> Uh, we'll see how many burritos per mile it takes for you to get across town. Oh, well, it only takes me an hour to get across town. Or miles per burrito, sorry. <laughs> okay, good night. This was a good night. Thanks, Jennifer, for joining. Yeah. All right, that was Bike Talk on KPFK Livestream. Now on Zoom because we don't want to get cooties from each other being in the <laughs> studio together. <laughs> Shows I care Every turn of the pedal Cleans the air Green in the green I'm saving the planet Just like my friends Dale, Sean, Toby, and Janet No greenhouse gas A tiny carbon footprint Up your ass I'm on a motherfucking bike Thanks for listening to this episode of Bike Talk If you want to hear more Go to kpfk.org Navigate to Programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the Archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group. 